You're listening to the Electric Sheep magazine podcast. I'm Alex Fitch, and in this episode, you'll hear a panel discussion that was recorded last December at the Hawthorne Theatre in Welland Garden City. Actors Simon Bamford, who played Onaka, Nick Vince, who played Kinski, editor Jimmy Johnson, and restoration producer Russell Cherrington are discussing the reconstruction of the director's cut of Clive Barker's Nightbreed. The panel are discussing the edits imposed on Barker by the studio, the disappointment which was felt by many because of the boulderized version released in 1990, and how with the help of various formats and sources, a re-edit of all the existing footage was mounted to restore the film to its original version. Uh, so we're going to introduce ourselves, so Simon. Uh, Simon Bamford. I was a knocker in Nightbreed and um, Bull in um, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, and Derek in The Book of Blood, and Gary in Dead of the Night. Oh, Hi, I'm Nick, Nick Vince, um, played Chatterer Sunlight <coughs> in Hellraiser, and The Chatterer in Hellraiser 2. Do not ask me why they changed the name between the two movies. Never understood. Um, and I played Kinski in Nightbreed. Hi, everybody. I'm Russell Cherrington, and I'm the reason these two people are here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Our parents had nothing to do with it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm Jordan. So let's go and make this movie. <laughs> uh, you didn't make it 25 years ago. It was a different film. I wasn't born to You made Hellraiser 25 years yeah. ago. So oh, right. we, they, when, uh, what happened is I uh, discovered that... Uh, so we can sit down now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, okay. I, I discovered that uh, this film was there to be restored, and I managed to get all the footage and I restored it. And I did that with this gentleman here. Hi, everyone. Uh, Jimmy Johnson. I did the restoration edit on the cabal cut. Yeah, great. So, so that's us. But we, what we understand is, is the odd thing about tonight is that we're talking to you before you watch the film. So, so we might have to end up interviewing ourselves a little bit and, and tell you the things that are missing that you... Is there anybody we, who hasn't seen the original Nightbreed here? Okay. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't, don't worry, because this is not Nightbreed. So, any of you guys seen or read Cabal? Have you read Cabal? Okay, so... This, what you're about to watch tonight is, is a really faithful adaptation of Cabal. And, and it doesn't take the same route that Nightbreed took. So it, it's completely different in that sense. So you're actually not going to watch Nightbreed, you're going to watch Cabal. So that, that's the film that will be on screen tonight, is Cabal. It's a novel come to life. That's my promise about anybody that's watched or read that book will watch tonight that book come to life. And Cabal was the film that originally we were we set out to make 22 years ago. So you shot it in 1989. <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> but never quite made it to the screen because of um, Clive making Hellraiser two years before that. And... And, uh, and then being known as uh, a horror slash director, writer. It was like a splatterpunk, it was called at the time. Was it? Yeah, splatterpunk was a new term for Hellraiser, yeah. Um, and so the, the, when it got to editing Nightbreed over in um, the States, they, they realised, well, that the studio realised that that's not what Nightbreed was. Nightbreed was more of a fantasy film 
with some monsters in it. Um, and they didn't like that because they, they felt that Clive... They already put Clive into this box of being splatterpunk man, <laughs> and that's not how Nightbreed um, comes across at all. Well, they, they essentially said to Clive that they wanted a film that was like Hellraiser, and they didn't get a film that was like Hellraiser, so they wanted to know how they could make it into a film like Hellraiser, and they looked at what was kind of put together, <coughs> and they decided that the character of Decker was the way that they could shape that film in, into nearer to Hellraiser, and to bring out the slasher character. So yeah, that's what they decided to do. So, and then the, you all know the story that Clive, for years and years and years, said that there's a much more faithful, a much more fantastical piece of cinema there, don't you? You all know that. <clears throat> and Clive spent years battling to have the film to be seen. And he really wanted the world to see the film that he'd made. And as Simon said, he shot it really faithfully. So he shot that film to be that novel. And he, and he basically did that and, and showed it, and he did that with an editor called Dickie Marden that shot, that, sorry, that was the editor on Hellraiser. And, and he had, Hellbound. And Hellbound, yes. too. Yeah. Yep, and Hellbound. And he did, they did that film together, and then Clive went to America with it, and the studio just didn't like it. They didn't understand it. They couldn't work out what he'd done, and, and they forced him into shooting six weeks of new material for the film. And a lot of what you've seen, if you've seen Nightbreed, comes from that new material and that new uh, editor. An editor came in called Mark Goldblatt that had edited for Tim Burton and people like that. And he was brought in to restructure the film. And that's essentially what happened to it. So the film that was released in, nine, in September 1990 was six weeks of reshoots, Clive's original shoot with you guys, and, and a new editor being brought in. And that was released and... Uh, you know, you could tell a really interesting story, Simon, about the premiere, the UK premiere. Yeah. I always like that story. So, <laughs> cute, Simon. <laughs> uh, yes. So, we filmed this film, and there was great excitement at the studios when we were filming it. The it was going to be the new Star Wars um, of the fantasy genre, and it had a big budget, and we had these huge sets of Pinewoods. And after, I mean, from from Hellraiser, we'd done two years before at this time at the studios in Cripplewoods that had no budget and no set no. and no money and nothing and, and to go from the that studio to was about, the studio was about the size of this room, <laughs> this room yeah, it, was. Literally, it was literally <laughs> about the size of this room the whole thing um, so there was great excitement and uh, it's kind of odd making a movie because unlike theatre which we kind of both work in where everybody's involved all the way through you, you kind of, everybody, apart from the director and the producer, they're the only two people, really, that are there from beginning to end. Everybody comes in, it's like building a house. So you have people come in and do their little bits and their little bit of expertise, and then they disappear. So you don't see any of it until the very end. So the actors come in, they do their little bits for their few days that they're filming, and then they bugger off. And So I haven't seen any of it no. until the premiere in the uh, Odeon in Leicester Square. They had a big party beforehand. Um, at the Tower Records, um, which we were all very excited about, and they gave us these cocktails with um, light cheese painted like eyeballs. Um, <laughs> it was fun. It was great fun. We were all very fun. excited, and I got absolutely slaughtered um, before seeing the film that I hadn't seen. Uh, expecting to see this wonderful, moving script that we'd worked mm. from, yep. um, and the book which we'd read, um, and the, the, the script was even more moving than the book. 
Mm -hmm. Expected to see this masterpiece from Clive. And uh, it started, and it was obvious very quickly that it wasn't what we'd filmed, but it had been completely messed around. The focus of the, the monster, sorry, spoiler, spoiler alert, do this <laughs> The monsters being the goodies and having the sympathy, and then the human beings being the baddies was being turned on its head, and that was the whole premise of the film. So why, why were they trying to do this? I got furious. Um, so, funnily enough, after my spoiler alert, spoiler alert scene, um, <laughs> <laughs> nicely done. I like that. I walked out, and uh, and I came back just as the film was ending, and Clive was coming down this huge staircase, surrounded by journalists. And uh, he went, Simon, Simon, what did you think? I went, bloody awful. <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't speak to me for about five years. <laughs> yeah, but I've learnt some tact and diplomacy since then. Not, en not enough, but I've learnt some. <laughs> and and I, think, I think Clive, from the start, had a real battle with the studio. Oh, he did. It, yeah, he fought them over it, and, and he used magazines, and he used the press, but it, it never got him anywhere, really. And the... the you may have seen the like American film poster. They they killed the film because they didn't like what Clive had said, the way he was dealing with the press, and that and that's the way it was. And about 15 years later at conventions, people started to ask, "Is there any truth? Is there a different version of Nightbreed?" And and Doug and other people and you guys maybe too were asked by the fans about you know Nightbreed. What, you know, and obviously, clearly, people had read the book as well. So you guys have read the book and seen the movie. People had fallen in love with the movie and thought it was fantastic, but they could see where the gaps were missing. And it, if you watch the the night read that exists, you can see that there's lots of characterisation missing. You know, Laurie is very underdeveloped. You know, Decker doesn't speak to his mask, and I'm not giving spoilers away here. You don't you the, the you don't get the motivation of the people in the town and why they go and do what they do, and 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 you don't have the relationship that Laurie has with Babette within the novel and within all what Clive was trying to achieve, and all that was essentially missing, and and Laurie is not really a character in Nightbreed, she's just there, she just drops in and out. Ashbury does the same sort of thing. So you all, it's kind of an underdeveloped but wonderful movie at the same time. And what happened is that uh, a guy that I work with called Mark Miller, about three years ago, called Clive up, cold called him, and said, I'd like to help you restore Nightbreed. I'd like to go out there and find the footage and make this happen. And Clive said, wonderful, thank, fantastic. Can you do that? It will be out of this world. And Mark then rang the film studio up and said, oh, we want to, me and Clive and Seraphim Films want to restore Nightbreed. And Morgan Creek fell around the floor laughing at him. Said, nobody would want to watch this movie. Right. Nobody wanted to watch it in 1990. Nobody wants to watch it today. In you know 2009, say, and uh, so this this kind of happened, it, and then Clive got involved in working with Clive. Sorry, Mark got involved in working with Clive. <laughs> Clive and Clive. Sorry, Mark was working with Clive, and then one day he was doing some work for Clive, and he was moving all Clive's film materials around in, in a big storage area, and behind some stuff that said Lord of Illusions, which is another Clive Barker movie. Behind there, the, somebody Mark found two VHS tapes that said Nightbreed on them, and they were three hours long. 
and he, and he said, oh my God, what are these? And he, so he, he took them home and put them in his VHS player and tried to play them. They wouldn't play because he lived in America and they were PAL. <coughs> so they were actually, that was the first clue that there was something useful there when they were PAL. And he sent them all to England to the people that run Clive's website who watched them and said, this is Nightbreed footage. And they then digitized it onto a DVD and sent it back to him and he finally watched it. And then kind of people started to hear that they'd found something. And it was screened at a, a convention that you were at called Horror Home. So you could pick this story up, can't yeah, you? Yeah, they, they, they screened the rough cut version. I've never seen a rough cut version. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a rough cut version of a film, but it's basically you've got all the clapboards in there, you've got no Foley artists, you've got no music, you've got um, people running in and out, you've got... It's just, it was truly, truly awful. And it, the film was three and a half hours long. It was, <coughs> it was three hours long with all the stops and starts. It was, it was a mess. And unwatchable. Well, yeah. it was, I, I managed to watch it, but yeah. there were very few of us actually who were there at the end <laughs> to start with. <laughs> It was interesting to see, but it needed a hell of a lot of work. It was really rough. Rough is uh, capital R. Yeah, and these things are called work prints, and they're basically eight-minute chunks of an edit, and then it goes to a leader reel. It goes out to black. There's a new leader reel. You get another eight-minute chunk, and there's very little sound on there, very little dialogue, and, and no music. And I, bet after that screening was out doing one of my trips out to do work and I said to Mark, I said, can I please take Nightbreed home? I'd like to watch it. And I couched it that way. I said, I'd like to see what's in there. And I brought it home and basically from that moment on started to reconstruct it. I watched it like you had. And then I re-watched Nightbreed, then I re-read Cabal and I re-read the first two drafts of the script. And then I said to Jimmy, who, who finished university about a year before, and I told him and knew that he was a really good editor. I, and I said to Jimmy, I said, would you like to get involved in this? And, and Jimmy, you tell him a little bit about getting involved in it. Well, I mean, I've done like a few different projects with uh, Russell before, and sort of like off the back of uh, Russell securing the footage, he sort of said to me, you know, like this could be like a fantastic thing. So, would you be interested in sort of, uh, you know, sort of seeing what you can do with this footage? So, like, uh, over the course of about nine months, I think it was. It was. Yeah. So, like, uh, sort of like commute over to where Russell lived and we'd sort of go through the footage and we'd sort of like, like over that time we constructed like the, like a master timeline. Like, I kind of had like everything and like literally it was probably still running about. What was it? It was 2 hours 44, wasn't it? Yeah. The first cut. Yeah. But I mean, uh, from, well, I mean, there's like quite a lot of dark bits, <coughs> like a few things repeated. I believe uh, like a couple of characters die twice. Eigerman dies twice, yeah. Eigerman yeah. <laughs> had two opportunities to die in, in the original footage. And, that, and we put that in because we wanted to show it to Clive so we could see it. So, so Jimmy edited with me and we created a 2 hour 44 minute version of the film. And all this time, Clive didn't know it was happening and neither did Mark. So I didn't tell anybody about it, it was kind of like a secret. And I, I was really making it so Clive, myself, and Mark Miller could watch it at that moment in time. And I created it, made a package, and then eventually I took it to Los Angeles, to Clive's home, and I, and I basically gave him and Mark a copy, and another guy that was working with, and, and said, watch this and let me know what you think. And I went home and then... First of all, I got an email from Mark with lots of expletives saying how wonderful it was. 
and how he couldn't believe what we had done in those nine months. And then I got this email, Clive's Notes. Now, if anyone knows anything about Clive Barker, he's an opinionated son of a bitch. <laughs> right? And I, lo I love him to pieces. He's one of my best friends in the world. But I know that Clive Barker is going to tell you what he thinks. So I opened this email very cautiously. You know, like when you get that letter, it's like coming from someone wants thousands of pounds on it. I open it like, and I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? And it, so it said, I have five changes I'd like you to make. Bearing in mind that it was two hours, 40 minutes, two hours, 44 long. And he wanted uh, a trim made at the beginning. I don't want to spoil anything for you. He uh, wanted a shot moved around the hallucination sequence. He wanted an echo of some singing that you'll see when Laurie sings. He wanted that moved on to the scene in the mortuary, and he wanted a piece of music put at the end. They were more or less everything he asked to do, which was kind of really flattering. And, and he did that, and we screened the movie at a convention in America, and that convention in America started a huge snowball rolling because people heard about it on the internet, and within weeks there was 5,000 requests of people wanting to watch it. And people all over the world, and then all of a sudden I started getting emails of, can we screen this film? And they were like amazing places, you know, Finland, Spain, France, America, Mexico, you know, more places, just places I never believed would want to watch it. And they basically started to come in and people started to request screening. What, what I did at that point in time is treated every one of you as a test audience. So what I did is, when you go and sit at the table afterwards, I listened to what you got to say, and basically took on board, and the, the film evolved via your response. So you guys telling those things made us realise where there were maybe perhaps was too many people cocking guns, going to shoot somebody, where there were little tweaks that could happen to the film. And, you know, we got interesting people, mate, interesting remarks. People, how are you guys? Do any of you love the character of Decker? Anybody a big fan of Decker in the movie? Probably, yeah. Well, people... Decker's <laughs> the difference in height. It doesn't mean you're not a nice person. Oh, okay, you can, you can like Decker. But, okay. but, but Decker has a different kind of outcome in the Cabal version of this film than he does in Nightbreed, without spoiling it again. I don't want to tell you too much. And uh, basically, that uh, some people were saying, oh, well, why can't the original ending stay? And I, and I keep saying to people, because it's not in the book. And, and everything, and my goal as, as somebody that read Clive Barker in, since 1985 and have worked with him for over 10 years is that I wanted to stay faithful to his original vision. And, and, and the kind of geek moment for me, because we're all geeks here, aren't we? Let's face it. The people who, you know, watch that. Are all kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was when we made uh, a DVD and I took it downstairs and watched it on a screen in the dark at night and I knew what that film really was and I was the only person other than Jimmy that had ever seen it and he didn't even see it on the screen mm -hmm. he just seen it in an edit suite and I watched it and I absolutely realised that we had a movie that everybody could see and we had something that that people have subsequently fallen in love with, which I think is fantastic. So. It's moving again. The characters, like you say, uh, Laurie and Boone, you, you, can't, you can make a film where you don't really care about the lead characters. I think they're doing it more and more. But certainly in those days, you couldn't. 
you know, there was a style of making a film and you have, you have to love or like or at least get along with the lead characters, whereas in the original Nightbreed, there was no effort to even engage with no. them. Well, I think it was, it's very much as, as Russell was saying, is in Nightbreed, as opposed to Cabal, Laurie just doesn't hardly have to look uh-huh. in. And it, you know, the book I read was a romance in many ways. It's a bad relationship between this woman who falls in love with a character who might be a monster, might you know, might be, uh, and that how that gets resolved and what she does for it. So well, I think that's what I really love is the fact that that was not thanks it's to Russell. Interesting enough, it's the same story as Hellraiser, isn't it? I thought that before. But again, with it's horror. the same. It's, it's, with horror. Yeah. But it's the same, isn't it? It's a woman who falls in love with a monster. No, but I, I have a. T- but has a different reaction. Yes, a different. Yeah. That's saying too much. But yeah, but I, I have a tagline, don't I now? That you know, like films have things for the poster, and they have a tagline. Well, my tagline for the film you're going to watch tonight is Gone with the Wind with Monsters. <laughs> right? And it, and it, it says, as, as epic as Gone with the Wind and as much a love story, right? But these monsters are amazing in it, right? And, and that's, if I was selling it to a studio now, that's what I'd sell. Mm-hmm. That's what I think you're going to watch. So, mm-hmm. so did you, anybody, as a, you, I guess you've seen the, there was an Empire article and we got a a rumour cover story recently which was fabulous but mm. I mean is there anything that you want to know or want to ask because you know that's the important thing for us it, you know you, things for you yeah. yeah I saw the cover of Friday and I thought it was brilliant thank you but then just one thing in the final version the release version will kind of spoiler but will Rachel's voice stay no, no, I mean, the, the, the thing for me the is, the, the, the thing that, I've, I've had lots and lots of engagement with the studio in, in recent months about what will happen, and uh, my goal is, is, as a filmmaker, is to do a, an amazing full sound mix at the end, and I will re-record as many voices as I can, I'll do as much voice work as, as I've done in the film, you know, Doug Bradley is dug back into the film. So you hear his voice, not some horrendous German actor that was just there in LA and, and they wouldn't bring Doug over. So Doug's back in, and I will do that to everybody that I can, and, yeah. and all the voices will be consistent. It'd be interesting, actually, because Catherine Chevalier, I think, yeah. played that character, and she, as an actress, has really evolved. <coughs> she was in um, Heroes, the TV series Heroes, um, and she's obviously kind of really kind of grown mm. over the years. Yeah. I, I know what you mean, her voice is a little... Shrill. Yes, but it's not anymore. No, I know. Yeah. But yeah, so that's... I criticising her, it's just I was more used to the theatrical cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit of a shock. I think her voice now is actually, because I think she was dubbed, wasn't she, in the original theatrical cut, but her voice now is actually closer to the voice that you hear in that one, so... I know, and the voice work that happened in Nightbreed was all done in Los Angeles, and the studio would not pay for the original actors to be brought out there to, to do voice work and, and but because well, now we live in the world where you can do it in a studio wherever you live and send it and it can be fitted to the piece so it's a much different it'll be much easier to do so my you know but th- this is a project that has received zero dollars of funding from the studio so far and, and all the rewards are reaped you know you know eventually by it being released and people buying it so, so yeah we, we do need an amount of money to do that, but yeah, I understand. And one of my goals is to do a wonderful <coughs> sound mix, especially the pops, the, the pop guns. The, uh, 
We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Anybody, anything else you'd like to ask? About the original Gaga? With the um, interest and the revenue that this tour of the Cabal Cut is getting, are you using that to try and then buy 35mm footage of what's missing and cut that back? Well, what's missing is a mute point. We thought we'd found something recently, it turned out to be something else. But you know, what, what the, we don't really make any revenue out of doing the tour. And, and it's not about that, really. The, the money that comes in from the screening, which are, they're all modest amount of money, just really pays to continue to do screenings. That's what happens, you know, and anything that, any, anything that you buy poster-wise just does the same thing. It keeps the show on the road. And basically what, what will happen is the studio will give us an amount of money to do a full restoration. And, and they'll release it and you'll be, our goal is that you'll be able to buy Nightbreed on Blu-ray because we've got all the materials for that and you'll be able to get Cabal Cut on Blu-ray with a documentary that tells you from Clive writing it to the release about the history, interview all the actors, be narrated, talk about the screenings, talk about the film's journey. And that's what we want you to buy, that's what you want to be able, be able to get. I mean, what I was getting at was this has been reconstructed from the VHS. From work prints, yeah. Um, but presumably there is still a higher 35mm quality copy of... Somewhere in some vast warehouse somewhere in America. And Indiana Jones is looking for it. You know that that warehouse where it's so huge and he's looking for the tiniest thing. But like I said, we found something recently that will help us a lot, but it's not the missing footage. Right, but what can happen, and I've said this to people before in in Q&As, is there's a system... Anybody love a film called The Devils that Ken Russell made? There's a different version of The Devils that basically uh, came from various sources. And what you can do, what I've got in my home under top security, we could basically tape bake. We go to the BFI and, and bake the tapes and for a, like a week at a certain temperature, you can play the tape once in, and use something called a DaVinci or other colour correction software and you can bring it out about the same quality as uh, say the Alien 3 work print which is about DVD quality it's not quite, it's not 2K like a Blu-ray, right? but it, it's really really DVD quality and that's what we can do to the source footage and then I can edit it and do a sound mix so the worst version of the Cabal cut you would get with funding would look DVD quality but in an ideal world, they would find the original film footage. And, well, it's and my goal, it, yeah. it's my hope, <coughs> that they know now that they can make money out of this. So there's a, there's a lot of dialogue about it, about what we could and couldn't do. And, there's always, and it always comes down to figures on a piece of paper in terms of how much money somebody could make. Because the people that want to make the money aren't you guys that want to watch it of interest. They're just really human calculators working out their profit margin. Interesting, love this stuff that was found recently. It was found in Kansas, you were saying, yeah. which is interesting because Oz is over the rainbow, so it kind of all ties in. <laughs> synchronicity there. I'm sure that's where it will be. Over the rainbow. Yeah, Kansas. So, so, so yeah, if I could get the 35 mil, I would do a 2K pass, do a 2K pass of the original film, put it all together, edit it beautifully, do a new soundtrack, release it, like almost like a beautiful thing that I would like it to be. Not that it's not beautiful. When you watch it now, 
Like, nobody after about five minutes feels any different about the film because you all get sucked in by the story. And I always say that when we fall in love with cinema, it's because of great stories. It's not great scripts, it's not great anything else, it's the stories that suck us in. And that's why films like Transformers are a piece of shit. And, and, and why and they are, because they don't have any story. You know, you could, you know, they don't. And, you know, and this has a wonderful story, and I think that that's what you will all enjoy tonight, really, is the story. And that's Clive's story. So, so the quality tonight. What is it? <laughs> 1980s porn in parts. <laughs> no, there's about two or three scenes where it goes quite dark and you see the line down the side. And my analogy for it is if you remember, you know, second generation or third generation porn VHSs, you'll know what I mean. Yeah? But it never stopped, yeah. they never stopped people watching them. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Most of them are too young. So, so am I. So, uh, yeah, so that's. that's Hopefully, an answer for that. So. Okay, well, what brought you guys here tonight then? So that's my question to you. What brought you to Welland Garden City on a. Yeah, when you I finished you when you were on in Derby. Thank you. Thank you. I've waited 20 years for this moment. This is like, this is like video sex to me. This is an orgasm on film. <laughs> but the, the bad news about your comment We've got is... got plastic seat covers. <laughs> no, but, but the funny thing is that I drove from Derby too because I live there. No way. Yeah, so I drove, and it only took me two. So, so you must have come the wrong way. No, we stopped. Right, you stopped, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah, we screened it at the quad, yeah. And, it, when we had, and the great thing about that was Woody Allen had to move into the small cinema because we'd sold that many tickets, we went into the big cinema. So. Not him physically. <laughs> <laughs> and I still moved Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> great, anybody else? Any, so that, that's really good that you've waited that amount of time and tonight you'll get to see it, so fantastic. So, well done. Anybody else? Any, any interesting stories? What brought the rest of you? Curiosity? Yeah. It could be watching Jack and the Beanstalk. Is it funny if some people got the two swap? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been watching out for small That Beanstalk has no face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, I came across this on video and actually used to work in a video shop. And I put a little censored notice on the cover of the video because the cover of the video shows David Cronenberg holding two important props that basically give away the twist. Which is just crazy, you know. In the marketing of the film, they tell you the twist ending. Yeah, true. Yeah, but they don't care when they market something, do they? Especially when they don't like the product. When they decided to just to get rid of it, they market it. And kind of the poster that's over there that I brought the big one sheet is actually the poster that should have been used back in 1990 that the studio said no we don't want that we'll just have a pair of eyes on the American one or we'll just create a Photoshop collage and another one so so actually when we did this I, I wanted to bring back what you didn't get first time right? so, yeah. it also it's, I was also thinking it's interesting that um, when we filmed it um, up to that point everything had been very steady there'd been no kind of shaky the stuff that we're so used to these days of cameras shaking around and moving around and that kind of, kind of reality hand type shots handheld but kind of really juddery kind of mm. as far as I know Nightbreed was the first film to use it and I remember at the time you watched it and you thought 
It's like, am I drunk? Because <laughs> <laughs> it had all been steady shot up till then, and nobody would dream of having anything that kind of juddered like that. But now we kind of just accept it. We, we, we think it's the norm. But then it was very, very ahead of its time. And I think that, that also didn't help Clive and his cause and, and, and trying to push, he's always tried to push boundaries and always will. <coughs> well, the thing about this film is that Clive, when he watched it for the first time, cried. And Clive, have you seen any of his tweets about it or read any of the interviews he's given about it? He's completely in love with this and I know he's watched it five times. And, and that's fantastic for Clive Barker to have watched it because, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that discovered Clive Barker at 15, 16 years old, read everything, went to see Hellraiser the week it was released, went to see Nightbreed when it was released, and, and, and have this understanding of his work that now allows me to reconstruct his movie and for him to give it to me and Mark to, to give it to all of you, which I think is fantastic. So, I hope you enjoy it. And, if you don't know about it, we have a website called Occupy Midian that allows you to sign a petition that, to tell the studio that you would buy this film. And that's what the petition does, is give them numbers and they understand in their heads that they could make money. So anybody that likes a film, please sign the petition because it takes it nearer and nearer to its release. And don't say th bad things about the studio because I don't think that they're inherently that bad. I just think they're all about money. And I think all film studios are the same. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just echo that as well. Is that as Clive has acknowledged, it takes a lot of money. You, know, you are talking lots and lots of noughts. And so you have to be confident that the product that you're receiving is something that you can sell. Yeah. And really, it was so groundbreaking. They didn't understand how they could sell it. So that you know, it's not, it doesn't mean bad people. They're just, mm -hmm. we're talking 20-odd years ago as well. Yeah. Simon has kind of explained as well. Okay, so we're going to go from here to there and come over and say hello. Okay, thanks, guys. The Cabal Cut of Nightbreed is currently touring America, with screenings at DragonCon in Atlanta at the end of August, at Fantastic Fest in September in Austin, Texas, the Erie Horror Festival in October, and then at Beyond Fest and Convolution in California in October and November. There's an additional screening on the 9th of August at Oz Horrorcon in Melbourne, and the Cabal Cut is being released on DVD in 2014. For more information about these screenings and the reconstruction of Nightbreed, please go to OccupyMidian.com. That's O-C-C-U-P-Y-M-I-D. IAN.com. The Electric Sheep Magazine podcast was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, is a Panel Borders production, and you can find all previous episodes at www.electricsheepmagazine.com events. Thanks for listening.